This is Linux Unplugged, Episode 8 for October 1st, 2013. And welcome to Linux Unplugged, the weekly Linux podcast that slow cooks the Linux topics of the day and then extracts sweet, juicy meat sauce called Linux Unplugged. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. Welcome to episode eight. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, we're both kind of, we have a Steam hangover because we've been talking and thinking a lot about Steam. And then, of course, even though the federal government shut down today, the Jupiter Broadcasting crew is here. We're not shut down. Never, no. never. It takes more than that to shut us down. It takes more than an a- or, uh, actually, I guess, inaction of Congress to shut us down. But <laughs> right, it could take exactly. an action of Congress, actually, now I think about it. That could shut us down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could. Well, so we've got some good follow-up from Sunday's Linux Action Show where we covered uh, ZoneMinder and we also talked a little bit more about Steam. Also, though, we're going to talk about DAC Cloud today. It actually just came oh. up on the pre-show unprompted. People have a little bit of cloud guilt because... It's just so convenient. Dropbox, Google Docs, Spotify, Google Plus Images. That happens to be my uh, current um, weak spot. You know, it's these, almost like a drug of choice. It's like uh, it's like it, I feel like it solved my life problems, but at the same sure. time, there's some fundamentals that we have to take into consideration. These are not free systems. These are not open systems. And even if you're a technically advanced user, you often don't don't get to know of any of the implementation details. So it essentially is a magic box, and that is bad for many many reasons. So we're going to talk about some of that today, Matt. What do you think? I think it's a good plan. All right. Well, very good. So uh, there were just a few like little uh, spots I wanted to follow up on. Um, now, we got some good threads going. And, of course, what is – I don't know, Matt. It seems to happen more than you'd expect. A lot of times, one of the things we get the most feedback on is not what we made the main topic of the show. Right? Of course. <laughs> at, at any time, the, conver- the discussion happens to switch over to, oh, I don't know, KDE or GNOME. That always seems to be a point of feedback. And we always tend to get – so when, I, when it's me switching back to GNOME, then I always get this piece of feedback. He says, uh, this is from Paul Fur on the uh, ZoneMinder review thread, or uh, feedback thread from the Linux Action Shows episode. He says, uh, he said, by the way, I'm talking about my switch to KDE. <laughs> One thing about KDE that always bugged me is a lack of design philosophy. Oh, that's the next comment. He says, much of the low-level things in GNOME are due to input from Red Hat. There was a post hmm. a while ago from Aaron Saigo where he envisioned the GNOME guys focusing on low stuff and low-level stuff and leaving the user experience layer to the QT technologies. To me, the GNOME UI still makes no logical sense wherever. Now, here's where he goes in for the killing blow, Matt. Stand by. Okay. Chris also managed to make his KDE setup look rather hideous, so no wonder no one would want to look at that for much longer. Ho! I see him also blaming KDE for what most likely was the unstable and impractical Fiddler's Distro Arch, wrecking his configuration. So I never well, actually. First of all, I, last time I checked, I've never had my doorbell ring and had a distro walk into my house and wreck my stuff. <laughs> I've never, I've never actually experienced this. Now I have experienced something to where I may have installed something and I may have wrecked my stuff, but I just want to put that out there. Yeah, I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you how I wreck it. So, <laughs> so for those of you, I did wreck it, and for those of you who don't know, I made a big switch over to KDE, and there was so much stuff I liked about it. Right. A few yeah. things that actually kind of affect my daily workflow because I, I uh, encode. Uh, video files over network NFS shares um, and, oh, and S- actually SFTP shares. And that would be like Dolphin doesn't mount a directory when you browse it on, on the web. It does like this fancy Dolphin virtual <laughs> right. file system, whereas like Thanar and Nautilus or files, actually, you know, they put that sucker in a .gvs folder and Bob's your uncle, you can go get get it hmm. if you want to. And then yeah, that makes I- it like Handbrake works with it and that makes a bunch of other programs work with it, mm-hmm. whereas it doesn't in KDE. I would agree with that. I would even go so far as to say my only real honest-to-God hang-up with KDE that really gets my goat is the sound issue. And I know that a lot yeah. of you guys don't experience that, and that's totally okay. I get that. But outside of that, in many ways, KDE is more attractive to me than the alternative. You've lived this sound problem with me, though. And I got to say, have, this, yeah. is a problem, this is a problem for me because um, I have, turns out, a soundboard. Right? right there it is, and that soundboard is powered by a Linux box, and that Linux box has multiple sound cards in it. It has an HDMI sound out, it has two uh, audio jack out ports, and it also then has a USB sound deck. That's what I use for the soundboard. 
And it just happens to be in KDE that it doesn't seem to be when I switch the sound device that it actually switches. Right. 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 Exactly. And also with KDE, something I think a lot of the chat room has touched on, and this is certainly true, that it always feels like it's going to be it's going to be better in that next release. We're almost there. Just just need that one tweak. Oh, whoop, we broke that other thing. But that's okay. We got this new feature. Let's get excited. And it always feels like that. You know, we always feel like we're uh, two steps forward, one step back. You know, in a lot of true. ways. And to be and fair, I, like I you know, totally respect. The technology in KDE, the integration, yeah. uh, the, the fact that it let me just create anything I wanted. And I went for a traditional taskbar, system tray, menu launcher UI. I thought, let's let's go back to what Windows was doing for 25 years and see right. if maybe they were on to something. And let's just, you know, or CDE. Let's go back to CDE, basically, and just kind of do a very traditional desktop. Of course, that's what he's saying looked hideous. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I will come back to, though, the problem is, is that what what I might call instability, you could also call unexpected behavior. So, right, for example, true. Dolphin not mounting a share, the sound the sound system not actually switching when I make the switch. And then the third – this is the thing that, that bit me, and this is the main reason I went back to GNOME, is, Matt, you recall back during the show when I lost my KDE config, right? You like I happened do remember on that. I do remember, yes. And uh, I ended up having to nuke my .kde4 directory and kind of starting from scratch. So th- – this time around, um, I, 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 broke, I broke it again. And I mean, I know I did this and I acknowledge I did this. And I, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like it, sh- it should not be this easy to break it. I'm trying to remember the exact command. So uh, mind the dinging as I bring it up here. So, okay. Sure. So I ran the, the command plasma desktop under GNOME because I was oh. working on a segment about widgets for the GNOME mm-hmm. desktop because there's like there used to be a whole bunch of options to get like a photo slideshow on your desktop. And there's, of course, Conky, but there used to be a whole bunch of things that they, uh, they've all basically been abandoned. Yeah. And I was working on like a little spotlight thing I was going to do for last where I was going to show you how you could take some of the great KDE Plasma widgets and actually run them in GNOME. It works just fine. And to do that, you run the Plasma Desktop command. That starts up the Plasma Desktop shell, and then you just add widgets like you would in KDE, and you pick your widgets. Super straightforward. Now, so I logged into GNOME just to just to you know just to play with it to do a little segment on it. And when I ran that Plasma Desktop command under my GNOME session, when I logged out of GNOME and logged back into KDE, everything was gone. <laughs> it was back to a yeah, fresh install of KDE. That's, you know that sucks because I mean that would be a real disappointment because then you essentially have to live in a world where you've got to have some recursive backup of your KDE directory. Right. I mean, that, that's happening like every or something, second. Right? Yeah. I mean, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. No that's way. not, that's not, it's just, I, I know I, w- I told myself I was going to do that, but then I decided instead of, you know, instead of worrying about something like that, I'll just reinstall if something happens. And that, it turned out no, to be, that was, doesn't really work yeah, now because you, you've got borked configs. It's not going to happen. And I was yeah. like, this shouldn't happen. And, you know, for example, I have ran Nautilus or files under, under KDE plasma desktop, you know, numerous times. And it, like the, like all of the Nautilus icons will show up on the desktop and, you know, you get the Nautilus browser and it's full yeah. on. It'll even change the background. It's full on. Nautilus is now controlling the desktop under KDE. That doesn't bork my whole my whole uh, GNOME config. I don't lose all my GNOME settings. I don't all my GNOME extensions aren't wiped out when that happens. I mean, you know, I, that to me, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I, I admit that maybe I shouldn't have done that. But to me, even if I worst case scenario, the expected result was not to lose all of my config. I don't know if maybe something got could have been anything i didn't even i have not even looked at the folder it could have been permissions it could have been anything i just thought on principle that's ridiculous plus you know he even stated uh actually knows our next commenter uh, which i wanted to touch on that also this struck me about gnome is uh and this was uh uh, donnie cousin uh, donnie eisen donnie eisen he said uh he says by the way he feels i'm gonna be back to kde but he's saying (laughs) one thing that kde has always bugged me is a lack of design philosophy and this uh, yeah, this echoes my sentiments exactly, and I think what this comes from is I didn't come to Linux from Windows, I or DOS, right? I came, right. I came from the Mac, and then later on OS two. I came from a always graphical. I mean, like I went way back. I I, I started like on you know before then. But I mean, yeah. when I was actually like using a computer, when I had a, like a hand-me-down computer, mm-hmm. they were all Macs. It was all Macs. And about the time, you know, Jobs uh, got out of Apple was about the time I stopped giving a crap about Macs. And <laughs> exactly. I wanted yeah. to play there, video games and boat, load Linux, right? Yeah, there's all these new things and BIOS and all these things that I started getting into. But even then, 
Even then, I did not run Windows, right? I ran BIOS. I ran OS2. I ran whatever the alter. The only time I ever used Windows was when I was using somebody else's computer. And that is true to this day. And it's, and those the, the systems that have stuck with me the longest are, are systems that had a great design philosophy behind them. And that is not to detract from what the KDE camp is doing, but they are just not crazy enough to spend almost an entire release cycle focusing on the system menu. They just can't bring themselves to do it because they're too pragmatic. They're not crazy enough, whereas the well, GNOME project is crazy enough. And that's the kind sure. of crazy I like. Well, for me, it always felt like that KDE was very much about the features. The design, design philosophy was kind of a secondary nature thing to them. It always felt like it was much more about features and how can we squeeze them in there um, from you know top to bottom. That's the way it always felt. And is for it, me, is it kind I, of like you, you think know, it's like give you everything and then if you want to yeah, make something yeah. from that, do it. But then it's like you never get there. Well, and it always feels like it's been crammed on top of something. I mean, like, again, it, it, it's pretty, but it's, it's kind of like Homer Simpson designing a car. I mean, it just, it feels very put together. It sounded like a really great idea on paper, but then you actually watch it happen. It's like, it still looks nice, but man, I got menus coming out of the menus here. It's just, I it's got, really chaotic. I got really, really close on my last, and, and I, I don't know, I thought maybe you winced at the UI a little bit, but I had a new <laughs> theme. I thought it, you could see it in the last episode of the Linux Action Show. I felt like, Oh, no, the episode before that. Yeah, the last episode, episode was GNOME. I felt like I had, you know, if you get the right KDE apps and you have the right theme, that 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 menu spew starts to kind of go away. It's not totally gone yet, but it's, it's a lot better. What's so funny is it's so starkly different under GNOME. It's just so dramatically yeah. different under GNOME that it's a bit of a jar. But I'm, I'm almost thinking having fewer options and having mm-hmm. the default options mm-hmm. be right and then having ways to go in under the hood when I need to is better. That is my philosophy. It's gotten it's basically turned into such a bad situation to where I can't get beyond XFCE. Every time I try, I mean, I run Unity on on an Ubuntu de- uh, desktop just because that's what's available. But my main desktop is XFCE. Probably always will be. Right. I keep coming back to it because I don't need. You know, you can sex it up six ways from Sunday with a decent theme, and it looks great. I'm running it under Manjaro. It looks it looks good. I'm very happy with it. I don't need more than that. Everything's where I want it to be. I run I would, everything from a launcher. Here's the thing, though: is I would argue. Uh-huh. That in order to really happily use XFCE, you rely on a ton of technology that the GNOME project and other projects are. Oh, absolutely. So those desktops wouldn't really be fully, would not even be probably half as functional without those parent projects happening. I'm not saying like they're sharing maybe even the. like for oh, example, they share like, quite a bit. Yeah, no, there's no yeah. question that Gnome right. especially is a KDE. So, I don't think has much to do with it, but I think Gnome especially has a lot to do with it. And that's, I, I think like, that's fine. I feel like if the Linux desktop, and I think a lot of people out there feel this way based on emails that we've gotten, where people are sort of adrift, they're mm-hmm. looking for the desktop that's right for them, and there really isn't one on Linux right now. Gnome is getting yeah. in one direction, KDE is going in their direction, Unity is yeah. going in their direction, XFCE is out in their own island, <laughs> right. And it's like none of them answer that perfect problem. And, and the real pro- – I think the real, the real challenge isn't going to be how does Unity compare and all that stuff. But it, they re- we really have to have a good answer to the Mac because until Apple loses it and starts to iOS up the Mac, that's a, that's a full-fledged desktop operating system. I'm not arguing any technical mm-hmm. merits, but from a user on shopping, they've got a great hardware offering and they've got a great software offering to go together. And that right. is a that is that is a problem that I think GNOME is closer to answering with, and especially it's, it's with its future integration with lower level Linux services like uh, System D and uh, Wayland. Uh, I think you know GNOME has a better shot of answering that 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 question because it still allow, allows you to take advantage of what's what's great about Linux. What Valve is taking advantage of Linux is the fact that it's this general technology platform that doesn't have any stakeholders that can control it in one direction. Right. True. I believe GNOME and KDE are going to be the two main desktops that are pulling ahead that allow you to retain that choice. I feel like GNOME is going to be the right answer for the Linux side. If they continue to really embrace and integrate with this low level Linux technology, I think that's going to be huge. So for me, it's kind of like I look at the field and I say, well, the Mac doesn't meet my requirements for my day to day computing needs. Uh, right. Windows isn't a contender at all because Windows, I, I, I have all of the same complaints about Windows that I have with my KDE experience. Yeah. Oh, and I would completely agree with that. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, there's Cinnamon, there's Pantheon, there's all these types of, uh, you know, the elementary Pantheon uh, thing into the mixture. I don't think there's any, I think the problem is that there's not going to be any one solution for everybody. 
And yeah, it's yeah. where OS ten people say, "Oh, well, I like OS ten because I like I like the whole package." And even to some degree, people probably say the same thing about Windows. I think with Linux is that we have so much choice, so many things to ch- pick and choose from that we do and really should be customizing a solution for ourselves. Give me ten minutes, and I can make anything look like OS ten. I'm not going to have the level of integration that OS ten has, but I can theme anything. I get slap a dock on there, throw some icons up, redo a toolbar. I'm good to go. It's not it's not rocket science. But I think that as far as the level of integration, I don't know if we're ever actually going to get there unless you start seeing a company become an all-in-one solution provider. Until that happens, I don't think that it will ever quite come okay, to that. Okay, so that so. would be the canonical Unity answer, right? Yeah. But, yeah. And I think what GNOME 3.12 and beyond is, – is, and 3.10 looks great, but I think it's really mm-hmm. starting in 3.12. Yeah. They are saying, here's your integrated – here's your fully integrated – Okay, so before System D, we had a warmed-over version of the old Unix system. I mean, it really was like you took the old Unix boot-up systems and you just applied it to Linux. Right. System D is this it's this whole new system that allows us to take advantage of brand new features like C groups in the Linux kernel that mm-hmm. allow, like GNOME, if GNOME is taking advantage of that stuff, to to uh, resource limit applications, to sandbox sure. applications, to stick them off in their own areas, to do something which I don't even understand called better mat application matching, yeah. and all of this is like it's. It's it's this, it's going to be I think this close to OS ten integrated level experience. However, you get to pick if it's Fedora, Arch Linux, Gen two, SUSE Linux, you know, Manjaro, whatever. You get to pick whatever you want. It doesn't have to be where where what Canonical's answer is is you're going to get all that stuff. We might even manage to get you some of it sooner than those other guys. Although right now it's kind of a dead heat, but we might even be able to deliver on some of this sooner. However, it's a bit of an island, and I think that negates the benefits of Linux, and those benefits are what are those types of general technology platform nobody has a single interest, and the only problem is when you have a completely integrated solution like that, you have that single interest. Well, that's the exact kind of thing that Valve didn't want any part of. That's why they created SteamOS. They could have just released a set of packages that you grafted onto an Ubuntu install and said, "Sure, here's a PPA, Bob's your uncle, you're done, use Ubuntu 12.04. No, they said, here's SteamOS. Because we're taking this general technology platform and we're going to bring up our little pillar in that platform. Canonical is going to bring up their pillar. They're going to do their own thing. But GNOME, GNOME is going to work on any of the general technology platform distributions. Any of them. Any, you just use SystemD, you use Wayland, and you have GNOME 3.12 and beyond, and you've got essentially the same exact desktop experience. You set the clock the same way on every single system now. It's no longer these back-end scripts that detect which version of Linux you have and which right. distro, and then it sets the clock. No, it's you just issue this command. And it's, I think, going to be this grand new future. I think KDE is going to be there too. I just think maybe Gnome's going to be there first. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, I don't – yeah, I, 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 you know, I hate to say it, but I think the really important underpinning, underpinnings are working better under Gnome than they are with KDE. So I think from a usability out of the you – know, once you get past the visuals and you just kind of actually use the desktop, I think Gnome's ahead of the game in that respect. No question about it. So, uh, Bear, so uh, Bear 454 in the chat room says, you know, don't you kind of see Steam as that – they're that single interest that's they, – I think – no, they're sort niche, of they're niche interest, I right? They're like uh, they take yeah. the general platform and they build their product on top of it, just like Android yeah. has been built on top of it. You can have these super deep and tall vertical integrations that are, right. you know, Android, for example, uh, but it still moves the whole overall platform forward. And I, right. even Canonical, even what they're doing, well, I mean, yeah, even Canonical, I don't think they know what they're doing. Even what I, they're you know, doing, honestly, I, I don't know. It's not like when Apple took FreeBSD, right? I mean, it's not the same. It, there's still more benefit because of the GPL. There's still more people yeah. benefiting from it. Uh, I don't know. This is this is a this is a topic that it just uh, you know the comments in the subreddit kind of got me going down. And he continued, uh, Donnie uh, Zarin did. He said. Uh, Gnome is becoming beautiful and usable with every release. After giving 3.10 a try for some time, I'm back on KD for a number of reasons. Gnome should be usable without extensions. Yeah, totally that's a agree. Big one. I big counted, one. I'm using 20 extensions right now. It is crazy because people in the chat room and in the mumble said that, oh, I'm using one or two. I'm using 20. Uh, that's, I, okay. Users shouldn't <laughs> have to worry about installing extensions to get basic functionality. No one uses or supports Gnome message tray. It's not been a success in two to three years, and nobody is ever going to accept it. When Chrome launched an app launcher in Linux, you are left in this terrible fight between GNOME and other developers where they only get to su- where users only get to suffer. Dropbox is not going to change for GNOME. 
Skype is not going to change for GNOME. That's Hell, true. GNOME apps like Banshee or Rhythmbox have not switched to GNOME message tray. I do not want to put all my eggs in the GNOME basket because they will probably remove an important feature they're used to without notice or reason. I find it really hard to use GNOME on big screens because GNOME wants you to use full screen apps. It tells you something like it tells you something when Red Hat was not confident to ship GNOME 3's interface to enterprise customers after funding yeah. it for so many years. So this part the part that he touched on here where he's like Skype isn't going to change, GNOME isn't going or uh, Dropbox isn't going to change for GNOME. These guys aren't going to redo the way their applications are written. Not not in these current releases, maybe in the future they will. Whereas like KDE like you know the I, like I notifications are way better. Like the message tray yeah. thing is a lot better in KDE. I just honestly I don't see Okay, I mean, Skype has gotten a lot better about adapting and changing ever since, oddly enough, since Microsoft bought them out. But I think uh, Dropbox and Skype, I think their approach to it is like, look, we slapped you up a Linux release. You know, this is how we're going to do it. Like it or don't use it. Tough. We don't care. Your numbers aren't impressive enough for us to care in their eyes. I'm not saying they are or they're not. So I think from that perspective, yeah, I think that GNOME is definitely kind of a bite in the boot on that one. But I think at the end of the day, GNOME's got the extension problem. KDE's got the audio problem. I'm using another desktop, and yeah. I just don't care. Yeah. I get the benefits of GNOME without the crap. <laughs> That's true. You know? That's the nice thing about XFC. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you a ding on that. So I, I will just wrap it up and say, uh, you know, Elementary OS has the same problem. Elementary OS oh, yeah. has a very specific design philosophy, the way they want things. And that's one of the reasons they have to go create a bunch of the apps on their own because they can't get people to adapt to their philosophy. I think as new releases of Skype come out, maybe they'll support GNOME. You know, Pigeon supports the, the GNOME notification area. And dude, it is so cool. When I get an instant message, a little just a little thing hovers up at the bottom of my screen. And if I click it, it then automatically extends up where I can read the whole message and I can reply to the message right there in the notification. Just hit enter and it sends it off. I don't have to t- alt-tab to a different window or anything like that. It's actually, when it works, it's a really great system. But, yeah. you, you know, yeah, it, it, these guys have to... Uh, one more thing. I don't, okay. <laughs> I don't think it likely that the GNOME team is going to remove any major feature all of a sudden. And I think you have to look at things like uh, they don't, they're not calling it they're fallback. They're kind of twitchy. But I don't know, man. They're pretty twitchy. I think it's more like they, they, they nuked and paved, and now they're rebuilding w- one thing at a time. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. And have, have, do we have – I don't know of anything major that's launched in the GNOME 3 series that has been removed. Things have been changed, like they're you know they have a big change coming for the middle click and all that kind of stuff. Sure, but I don't know. Which is yeah, stuff like that's kind of big. It'll be interesting to see how it all pans out, and I think in the end it will all pan out to do what it needs to do. But um, you know, it, it's it is a little scary living in the Linux space because something like Skype or something like uh, Dropbox that we use and rely on at any point they may be like, you know what, we're done. You know we're what, done. Matt, you just nailed it. Let's fly. Let's flush this topic down because that brings us to the next spot. I think in this week's show. This is where we'll probably bring the mumble guys in. Wait for mm-hmm. the finish. There's the finish. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> flush production. Yeah. I think you've nailed it. I mean, yeah. we are so often um, victims of these cloud providers. So mm-hmm. uh, this week, uh, Google announced what looks to be a really fantastic HTML5 creation tool, like a point-and-click frame-based creation, something like early days of the macromedia creators. Really looks super impressive. I couldn't tell you, Matt. They only made it available for Mac and Windows. I, of course. The, the, not available for Linux, right? Uh, you mentioned Dropbox. This is, a, this is a service that has... If you've used Dropbox for a long time, there was a period of time where the Dropbox client introduced a bug where it would then duplicate everything in your Dropbox, and then also uh, there's a period of time where it wiped everything in your Dropbox. <laughs> I've lived through both. both of those, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the cloud services... Propose a big problem, and I want to zoom out before we talk about that because I think it's even a, there's a, a bigger problem here, and I want to get some of your insights on this because you've been uh, you've you've had a, a roommate for the summer. Uh, I think cloud computing uh, offers us a future where we have we have to analyze a few fundamentals, and it's not just about you know crazy NSA conspiracy theories and things like that. There's a, there's a few questions I want to ask. So let's talk about that. But before we do, I want to thank this week's sponsor, and that is Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense, my friends. And let me tell you, Ting is average monthly rate, $21. Now, here's how that's even freaking possible. One of the great things about Ting is it's pay for what you use. At the end of the month, Ting is going to take all of your minutes, your megabytes, and uh, what else you got? You got your, nope, just Ting meg- megabytes. You got your text messages, uh, no hidden services. So you don't have, they're not going to add those up because that's not in there. Um, let's see, uh, creepy sales guys. No, they're not going to add that up there because that's not in there. So I think it's just messages, megabytes, and used minutes. And they just put all that at the end of the month, and they calculate what bucket you fall into. 
So the average price is $21. That's, that's pretty good. Now, the most exciting thing about Ting is no contracts and no early termination fees. And when you buy a device, you own that device. It's not a subsidized, it's not a subsidized device. And I know all of our friends all across the pond, they always give us a hard time about this. Like, you silly Americans, <laughs> you buy all your phones on contract and pay more up front. Don't you realize what you're doing? Right. Yes, we, we understand. We do, and, we, we still, and we're still unlearning that habit. Well, yes. and Ting is helping with this. So That's if you go right. over to linux.ting.com, you're going to save $25 off a device from Ting, and they've got a lot of great new devices. Note 3 is coming, Matt. Now, don't get jealous oh. because the Note 2 is still good. Matt's, that's the phone <laughs> Matt rocks. Loving it. The one I might recommend people take a look at, though, is the Moto X. Take a, take a gander at that, or the HTC One. HTC One, spec-wise, is still pretty competitive, and those front-facing speakers are no joke, especially if you're a podcast listener, which I suspect you might be. They are as good as like a Bluetooth soundbar or an external soundbar that you might get, or nearly as good, and it's all built into the phone, so you don't have an extra piece of gear you have to carry around. So I really like that. And I've been using it to listen to audiobooks. I've been using it to play my podcast. I'll even listen to music. It's surprisingly good even for music and games, too. It's great for games. So the HTC One, I really like that. Plus, it's got a fantastic design. It's built really tight. It's, it really feels good in the hand. And one of the things that Ting is doing right now to make – actually, I, I think this is sticking around forever. I think I think crazy – That would be good. Crazy That's Ting is going crazier, Matt. They're making yeah. early terminations a little less of a sting. So Ting now has an ETF relief program. They'll save 25% off your ETF. That's up to $75 per device from – so here's what you do. When you're ready to switch to Ting, and remember, the sooner you switch, the sooner you start to save. You browse your device options, pick your device, and activate it. You can activate it through their website. Super easy to do. Or if you'd like to call one of their customer reps, you can call them at one eight five five ting ftw And a real person, the phone might ring one or two times, I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is a person will answer that phone. Boom! And then you can actually Boom. ask them a question. Boom! one eight five five ting ftw 8 a.m. through 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So once you've gotten that phone activated, although you just go to the Ting, linux.ting.com, man, everything you can... Matt, you activated your phone through the oh, Ting website, Oh, it was website, super right? simple. You Matt, just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You just get in there and get it done. Please, I've activated like three phones. I got it down yeah. to like three minutes, man. I get on that site, pop, 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 and I've got that phone activated. I'm ready to go. Plus, then I manage in the awesome dashboard. Once I've completed that action, you just, you just uh, fill out a little form. Fill out that form. You send it to Ting. It says, hey, by the way, Ting... I had an ETF for canceling my contract. Could you help me out, Ting? Hey, Ting, by the way, could you help me out? Hey, Ting. And you know what Ting will say? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Up to 25% of your ETF can be relieved by Ting. That's a great deal. And that's sticking around. And they've also got a bunch of great used devices if you want to pick up a device that uh, maybe you got somebody in the family that you want to put on the plan because you get a pooled minute. of uh, you, you can have unlimited devices, all shared pooled minutes. And a, and the device is only $6 per line. So if you've got one or two phones that aren't going to get used a lot, you don't have to worry. And if you have a phone that gets used pretty heavily, then you only have to pay for what you do end up using. And if you've got somebody, maybe it's got more text messaging, like a, like a teenager, or somebody oh, yeah. uses a lot more data like myself, that's much more easier to manage with a Ting plan. You also have these refurbished devices. You have They have a personal shopper where they can pick one up for you. You can get things like the LG Optimus Black, $68 over at Ting. The Sprint Airwaves, you can have a personal cell tower in your house. And of course, one of my favorite Android phones ever made, the Samsung Nexus S. $80. $80. No contract and no early termination fee. Samsung S3, $385. No contract and no early termination fee. Pay for what you use. Love it. Plus, included hotspot and tethering with every Ting device. How great is that? There's no extra data plan, no shared family plan you have to be on. They even accept a range of Bring your own devices. You go over to linux.ting.com. Click on the devices link. Check this out. Not only can you bring your own device, you can sell your old device. It's between the early termination relief program and selling your old device and the absolute amazing prices for Ting plans. Never been a better time to start saving. So go over to linux.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. That's right. Gotta love the fact that they make switching easy. Anybody does that is great in my book, you know? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Gotta I'm love also that, guys. a hermit and I don't like to talk to people. So the fact that the website yeah. works nice is a benefit. Uh-huh. So let's talk about cloud computing. You know, it's- guess who got me thinking about cloud computing this week? I who guess. is that? I'll give you a hint now. Uh, see, okay. see if you can place. Um, he is um, famous. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You have any, do you have any guests yet? Famous, huh? He's famous. He's famous. So keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, he um, 
He uses a pretty low end computer on average. I guess it's a okay, he too. Okay, I know. Yep, yep. And we're talking uh, uh, famous amongst our people, perhaps. Dimension. Yes, Mr. Richard Stallman, who uh, when yep, we yep. asked him about cloud computing, his response was, Get it out of here. Get it uh-huh. out of here. And he said, by the way, it's... It's a negative in the freedom dimension. He he listed what he uses as his like daily driver. Uh, this is a quote from a recent interview, that, or just recently got kicked up in our subreddit, at least. Did I, did I, I would ideally like to have a machine. Oh, so they said, hey, Richard, what's your, what's your dream setup? Because he has a Yilong, like sub netbook, man. It's like, <laughs> it's not even a netbook, right? He said, I'd ideally like to have a machine with the speed and memory of a laptop and the display size of a laptop too, combined with the same freedom I have now on the Yilong. Until I can have them both, freedom is my priority. I've campaigned for freedom since 1983, and I'm not going to surrender that freedom for the sake of more convenient computer. I do hope to switch to the new model V-Long with a 10-inch screen soon. Uh, he said, um, and then he went on to talk about how he's not willing to sacrifice his freedom in order to, you know, use hardware that yeah. has proprietary blobs that or requires, you know, proprietary binary blobs and things like that. And I, I thought, okay, I just could never live like that. But I look, I look at what Richard Stallman's principled stance is with his computer hardware as perhaps some a, a, a launching off point for our discussion around using cloud okay. services. Because as a, if you are into Linux for any of the aspects of free and open source software, mm-hmm. then you have got to be challenged by the fact that a lot of these Linux desktops are just connecting out to closed sourced, proprietary, locked down cloud systems. A lot of times running on top of open source hardware and software, or um, open source software. But um, you know the end result is a closed source proprietary app now. Hmm. And so, you know, you, yeah. know, you have to look at it. So I, I ask you, Matt, is yeah. it um, hypocritical? Well, so here's my thing with Stallman, and, and I'm just kind of summarize it with this. He's able to do this, and, I, and from what I was reading, his workaround is when he needs to go to Google, he borrows another person's notebook. Okay. So, you know, he doesn't always WGET uh, his uh, websites or however he does it. He doesn't always <laughs> use Emacs. He has been known, and, this, and seriously, go and Google this, guys. He actually has been known to borrow other people's notebooks because it's not logging him. He maintains his privacy, but he doesn't mind putting mm. the other person out there. So, so, his, so it, gets, it gets kind of fuzzy there for me. Um, I will say that he he rolls hard. He's hardcore. I think that's great. You know, I mean, he definitely just dug his feet and he feels serious about it. But he is willing to go that far. It, it gets, yeah, it definitely gets a little fuzzy for me. I, I have a hard time taking that seriously. So, Mumble Groom, I want to ask you guys, what do you think? Should a true diehard uh, guy? He's got he's got um, you know a GPL flag flying high. Mm-hmm. Is it? Hypocritical for um, a true freedom fighter to use cloud-based services like Google Docs, Gmail, mm-hmm. um, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, remember no. we had Identica come around for a while. It was sort of like, a, here's an open source version of this. No one cared. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you guys think? No, no, he's totally fine using that type of stuff. Really? So you don't see a conflict in somebody who advocates for complete free and open source software on the desktop? using cloud services i to me seems like software is software and if you if you need to have free software on your desktop then you need to have free software in your web services you would think so you would think so but you know i mean just because it's not open source or free software doesn't mean that it's always technically bad software i mean we use google every day mostly i mean most of us do but uh yeah, I think he's okay using with Google and stuff like that. His hypothetical user. All right. So right. <clears throat> here's where my struggle comes from with the cloud. Is It's multifaceted. I can outline it really quickly. Uh, the privacy issue, obviously, with the NSA revelations. You never know if you're getting swooped up in some sort of mass surveillance sweep. Um, but, you know, probably not likely. Uh, I look at things like Google Reader as the go-to, but also just simple things. Like Google Reader is an example of a service being taken away and shut down without any user say. But even something a little more micro, like uh, the Gmail Compose window, 
I I I vividly with a passion hate that. Uh, it it actually completely breaks my particular workflow because you got to click on a stupid thing, then click on another thing to get the subject line back and the CC yeah. thing, and it automatically hides under this weird little button the previous thread, which I often refer to when I'm re- re- writing my response. I mean, in every single way that I average on average in responding to emails, this new compose message completely breaks it for me, and I don't want it. I turned it off for as long as I could, but then eventually one day. They pushed out the code to every single server, and now I don't have that, and I can never get it back. And as as somebody who's elected to use Google Apps, I sure as hell regret that now because I freaking hate that new Compose window. Just so it's not just about like a, like a Google Reader service being turned off, and then I go to Tiny Tiny RSS. It's also about changes in that service that, to me, are about driving an alternative motive than actually providing a good user experience. So there's that aspect to it. But then sure. you also have the aspect of performance. Things that are on your own land perform better. So using things like you know a local video server instead of streaming from Amazon or Netflix likely means you could do a higher resolution file. It'll start a little bit faster and nobody's keeping metrics on what videos you love to watch, right? This is very true. This is very true. And then then lastly, because it's here on my LAN, there's less of a security issue, right? I maybe don't have to use as massively complicated passwords because not everyone and their brother can just log into it because most of these things I don't even open up a port for. It's, it's only on the LAN. And so there's, I think, a higher security potential there. And then lastly, the internet was built around connecting lands. That is the fundamental nature. It is not about consolidating and 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 moving everything to the top. It is about distributed networking. It is about connecting large networks so they can share information between each other. It is not about everybody being a bunch of dumb thin clients that connect up to the Google master servers. And which by the way are running closed source software, which yes, does bother me. So I I look at the cloud as as bad from that standpoint. But I will also now pivot from that and say, here's a whole other reason why the cloud is awful and is going to doom humanity. I think that personally the internet was supposed to originally be peer-based. And that's just because the way the protocols are made up. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. See, my look at it is, I use the cloud up to a certain extent. I just use like Gmail, stuff like that, YouTube, whatever. All my pictures, all my personal stuff, I just keep backed up on externals. I never use Dropbox and all that stuff. That being said, I don't have the terabytes of data I'm having to deal with like you are. So that's Well, no, I different. mean, like, for me, like, I can't get off the G-plus sauce for the photos. I love the fact that I just take some photos on my Android phone and they upload, and then it does some magic to make them look better. It animates the GIFs. It, uh, you know, selects the best faces, like... Man, that is just so handy when you want to keep out when you just want to automatically pull out the good images and just be call it a day. Like, that is great. Plus, the design of the platform kind of leaves me needing a photo management solution. And so they kind of conveniently provided one that is kind of hard to put down. You know, I don't want to really be putting all that stuff up there, but damn, it's just so great. But here's the bigger thing, you guys. And Matt, I want to, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to okay. share anything more than you want to. Sure, but sure. But you've... You've recently had exposure to, to a high school-aged person. Yeah, right. And when I was in school, we had three classrooms packed full of computer nerds. And then we had one right. classroom that was really the elites. And some of us got, like, root shell access and domain admin access to the early NT4 domain. Like, we were really, like, <laughs> high-level yeah. geeks, right? And this yeah. was in high school. And then flashback, like, 10 or 11 years later, I went back as a contract worker to that same school district, Mm -hmm. and I found, like, they had totally, like, neutered all of the computer classes and really generalized them. They were, you know, office classes, really. It's it's all about Excel and Right, and Word, learning to type, Mm -hmm. and they'd really watered it down. And instead of, like, 30 super passionate nerds, there was three, and only one of those three even had a shell account. And it was like, that guy, yeah, he's, he can help us out with a few things. Where it was like, back in my day, we wired the, the whole, we wired all, the, we wired the district with cat, with Ethernet. I don't remember what, if it was cat three or five, but we wired the, I mean, we were like, we were IT. Like the kids were so advanced, we were IT. And that's how I got my first job. And now I look at the kids today and I think, the damn kids on my lawn, I think, they have no idea of the context behind the screen. All they know is how to operate what is on the screen. And while, yes, I have made the argument that this is natural, like, 
Before computers, there was the radio, and every kid knew how to build a radio, and every there was radio kits that were advertised in magazines and comics, and you would get a kit oh, and yeah. you would build a radio. Build, yeah, yeah. I built those. Nobody knows how to do that anymore. Right. And they're just like, oh, well, now we just buy radios. It's no big deal. Or cars. Cars are another great example. Cars are a huge part of our, our of our civilization, and I have no idea how to do anything other than I could probably maybe Google my way through changing my oil, right? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, yep, as yep. long as I've got Google <laughs> under the car with me, I should be okay. And it, that, Boy. see, but computers, computers are so much more invasive. Computers are in every aspect of our life. It's not like radios and cars. Not understanding how computers work is like not understanding that putting your finger in an electric socket can hurt you. Computers run hospitals. Computers run the government. Computers run us. Computers run everything. And everybody has a computer in their pocket now. And so to not know how that works is a way bigger deal than not knowing how a radio works. It's a way bigger deal. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, we were generationally brought up in the world, and especially those before us, to where you learn to do things. Oftentimes out of necessity, you get the bug. You're excited right. about it. And then you want to go learn how to do other stuff. Kids today with smartphones, not only are they not verbally speaking to one another, they'll be texting one another from across a table. I mean it's terrible. But in addition <laughs> to that, it's uh, you know the phones pretty much do it all for them. Right. And so if it's and, – and like to give you an example with my nephew, his world revolves around YouTube and Facebook. He really doesn't stop to rationalize there's an internet out there. It's Facebook and YouTube. Well, what am I going to – oh, and then I introduced him to Reddit and now I'll never see him again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, I, I showed him that. But I mean it's like they, they don't have the, the ability uh, – not all kids but a lot of them. I'd, say, I'd even go so far as to say probably the majority of them don't have the ability to go out and – want to learn beyond that because that's the environment they're brought up in and we're that's why we're working on here is we're working on you know we basically undumbing down the undumbing down the kids i mean you know that's kind of the whole thing and it's it's a task and it's so, it's a task you got to tackle early. i think you nailed it when you said the smartphones like the problems are solved like you know yeah. like i had to learn how to build an instant messenger server because i wanted this message or i had back in high school i learned how to create a dial-up server so that way i could right. get internet connectivity out in my home in the boondocks like i had to create yep. i had to solve these problems starts with necessity and then after a while it's kind of like god this is kind of cool and it becomes an interest so here's where skill, so know? here's where the problem is with cloud computing because cloud computing does this to all of us even those of us yeah. who are extremely technical who could understand what they're saying we also have this dumbification given to us like we are right. without without any option by using like dropbox i really have no freaking idea any of the technical backends i kind of get bits and pieces over the years and kind of construct a theory in my mind of what it likely is based on sure. how i understand technology works but most people don't even have that advantage yeah, and we're doing true. it to everyone. We're doing it, and we're doing it at both ends. We're doing it at the client side, and we're doing it at the server side, and we're just chewing in right to the middle. And it's it is we're going to leave ourselves like in some sort of dystopian Star Trek world where they right. come to the planet and the computers run everything. Oh, it's going to literally be like Voyager with the uh, what? What the hell do they call uh, Kess? Where she's part of the Oompa Loompas or some damn thing? The Ocampa. <laughs> yeah, the Ocampa. <laughs> yeah. I call them the Oompa Loompas, but whatever. You know, they're like you know, basically they have a caretaker, yeah. Google, yeah, and you know, and they're or Facebook or whatever it may be, and they're basically taken care of. And so, yeah, I, I and I think a lot of the causality for that comes from a combination of parents and schools. Well, the parents figure, well, I'm busy doing my thing, so the, the schools will take care of this for me. And the schools are like, honestly, we can barely keep our lights on, so no. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to make this as easy on ourselves as we can and do the very bare minimum we can because that's how schools seem to operate nowadays. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a lose-lose for the kid. So, you know, yeah. Mail Holler in our chat room points out that, like, people don't even know – this happens in all aspects of life. People don't even know where their milk comes from most of the time. That's true. Um, that's very true. And I – now, there is still a world out there. Mi- or what's in your milk. I yeah. mean, that's a serious, serious thing. We switched to organic. Both my wife and I, our cholesterol did a nosedive. Yeah. And Seriously. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Just saying. And why is that? Because of the cows, you're, you know, because where, where your food comes from, the, if they're, you know, if they're intaking products and things like that that have uh, things you don't want in your body, you're also intaking that. There's a lot of considerations so of knowledge. I guess, though, but there's still a market. Yeah. There's still a world out there where you can decide, I want to know what's in my milk and then mm. go buy Absolutely. Else. So maybe, it, but it's a premium. It's a premium market because there's not because it's it takes more work or more consideration, and the market's not high enough out there. And it's more of a niche market, so they can charge more, as we know from the gluten stuff, or the anti-gluten stuff, rather. You so. know, Matt. Um, just to point out, you're completely right when you're saying it's the majority of all teenagers that mm-hmm. don't understand what's going on in the background. 
Yeah, um, it's sad. I'm 19 myself, and uh, the only reason why I know so much as I do right now is because I kind of was defiant and I was like, no, I want to know how this works. Right, exactly. Oh, yep. And I poked and uh, I just kind of just got into it. I think that takes an exceptional personality type. It does. It takes it takes it, it's almost I would say it's the new A type personality. There's the old A type where you're just loud and proud and whatever. But I think the new A type personality, someone that wants to take responsibility for their environment, for their skill set for their goals, for their future, for the whole thing. And I think that that's exactly what you did there. Uh, you're 19 years old, and you decided, wow, you know, I, I'm watching the sheeple around me <laughs> do their thing, and it's like, well, I, I want to do more. I want to do something I different. I kind of laugh when I see other people, and they say, oh, Google crashed. <laughs> see, for me... <laughs> that's I, awesome. Yeah. See, for me, like, it's got to be that Um Android, like, my phone actually is the one that got me into Linux in the first place. Oh, really? That's But that's cool. Yeah, because... um. Back in the day, I used to have the original uh, MyTouch. Like, it was like the second or third Android phone that came out. And it was so horrible because T-Mobile <laughs> refused to update it past <laughs> oh, 1.6. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, God, it's got to be a better way to do this. And so That's I rooted it, and I got it updated to 2.2, I believe. And it was just so much better. And then I learned, like, wait, I can do this on my computer, too? Well, oh. that's encouraging. That makes me almost think that maybe there's a positive side to every negative. The fact so that the Android phone didn't get updated brought you into Linux. I mean, that's... Well, and it's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was so, XDA. So. Like, I learned all this stuff from, like, XDA, like, originally. Like, those forums over there, like, those guys are amazing, so... That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it seems like it's it's either going to be uh, you know I- intervention from a uh, someone that's an interested party, or it's a it's a pain point such as an Android phone that is just not going to cut the bacon. Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see how everybody kind of comes into their uh, into their uh, own world. You I, know, I, you know, I kind of look at it as like I'm going to use these cloud services until a really good, practical, implementable, if that's a word, solution comes yeah. along for me. Like I need something to manage my photos in my network. <laughs> Right. I really do. Like my wife takes a jillion photos a day. She's sure. got like 500. I mean, it's not that much, but it's, it's going to be by, by mid next year, it'll be a 500 gig photo database. You know, I've, nice. got, I've got a decent size. It's like we need something that's free software that uh, is not, um, you know, like Mac specific. So the problem is mm-hmm. she's, she just loves iPhoto. And, right. and honestly, every time I've tried to get her to switch to something, she's got a dozen valid points that I can't. Like, I mean, yeah, right. no. you know, same like, here. I'm right there with you. <laughs> and by the way, I kind of want to do a photo management uh, segment on, uh, cool. on last. I think that'd be a good one. Cause I've, I've been, that's something I've actually been working on. Maybe, yeah. Maybe oh, we'll do that yeah, in the future. My uh, wife went to school for photography and of course uh, lives in Photoshop and uh, yeah. iPhoto. And yeah. Whatnot. And so that would be interesting too. And so she's, yeah. she's, she knows like, uh, she's going through a problem she has right now where uh, she's trying to pick the right camera. Because her oh. camera is going out on her, and she happens to love this style of camera, and so she's kind of at this spot where she's like, "Do I buy an older model with lower specs that I know performs the way I like, or do I buy the latest thing and just learn to live with it?" Kind of like I'm doing with GNOME, uh, right? Yeah. And you're, I mean, that's a tough you've one. taken the other route. You've gone XFCE, and you're like, "You know what? I'm just hanging, and I'm good." And me, I'm like, "No, I'm, I'm going to go GNOME, right?" So I've got the newer <laughs> camera, <laughs> you know. But I treat my computers the way uh, my wife treats her cameras. Don't worry so much about the camera itself. It's all about the glass and the technique. Yeah, yep, that's, yep. Where, that's where it goes. So, well, and you I know what happens in these point-and-clicks now is they have like uh, image processing that they do, yeah. and like they're adding like uh, orange to skin colors oh, and no. things like that. But, See, Oompa Loompas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess I, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to maybe we'll just wrap up the whole uh, cloud services with, you know, my yeah. thought is, is I try to use cloud services as minimal as possible, but, you know, also use them responsibly and just uh, – I look at it as if I have the technical know-how and means to build my own solution, then I the only thing that's preventing me is time and laziness, and I should exercise that ability and that right to do that. So I I do it. I just plan. I think I'm going to continue this trend over 2014 of just moving everything back home. And as I as I move something cool, we'll talk about it. You know, and when I, I solve this photo idea. problem, we're going to talk about it. It I might make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. tough. It is, isn't it? What are you a real? Are you going to be a farmer to grow all of your own crops? Are you going to use a drill to drill your own oil? There's a lot of necessities that you just live to be thankful for. That's true. Yeah, or we, that we just totally take for granted. And you, you know, use up your own it. hydroelectric dam, right. To harvest your own electricity. I admit, it's I very hard I for under, wood to make your own fuel. Like, I have fire. tried to move away from. Dropbox now a hundred times, and I have underestimated how integrated I have worked it with my workflow. 
And so every, like I still, now I'm just half and half. I'm like, well, I'm more than half and half, but I'm, I, I have like almost everything in BitTorrent sync, but I still have like three or four applications and, and config files and stuff in bit in Dropbox. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I got to figure that out. I got to figure out how to fix that, but I just haven't had time. Um, Matt, all right, before we move on, yep. I think we should uh, probably read some emails and I'd like to hear people's thoughts on the cloud stuff too. Ish. So go ahead and send us your feedback. You can uh, tag Linux Unplugged in the contact form and it'll uh, tag it just specifically for this show. I also have a link in the show notes. I'm, I'm, uh, I just grabbed it. I was going to work it in because I was reading this this morning. So the two things I read this morning were RMS's work uh, setup and then also this ex-Microsoft privacy advisor. He said, I don't trust the company. And he's, he switched only using open source software. And uh, he says, I don't trust Microsoft now. And he said, uh, adding that only, he only uses open source software where he can examine the underlying code. He said, uh, he's told this to the, to the Guardian. So I'll link to that in the show notes if you guys want to read about that. And I also have a link to the Richard Stallman setup in there. Um, That's also going to uh, talk a little bit about what I was talking about, where he uses other people's computers on occasion. Yeah, Bear, Bear found the quote, too. And, you know, yeah. I guess you could kind of say that's a loophole, but... And I have no problem with it, but don't, you know, but where, where I get where I get rubbed the wrong way with it is when he gets the real, real I'm just going to say it, real high and mighty about it, but yet he's still doing it, but he's putting someone else's privacy at risk for yeah. his benefit. It, you know, I'm not cool with that. It would so. kind of be like, oh man, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this. I just, I'm just going to say it'd be kind <laughs> of like, it. <laughs> it'd be kind of like if I went on last and, you know, we got, you and I got on our soapboxes about using anything but Linux. How dare you use anything but sure. Linux? And then I go, I, I wrap up the day and I go edit that on a Mac. You know, right. Well, it, and, and we all do it. And, but the difference is, is, I don't recall you or I ever saying, oh, you're using that. You know, Use what works for you, folks. And that's kind of my philosophy. Even if you do use proprietary software on Linux, hey, if that's working for you, that's okay. But you know, be educated about it. I think that's the underlying thing that I would like to see Stallman talk more about. It's more about the education and a little less of the finger wagging. I guess you know? maybe now is that's the best compromise, isn't it? Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, be educated. A, as a technical user, we can try to make ourselves as knowledgeable about the service as possible. So educate yourself, and then when when it seems reasonable, like if you need the performance, sure. the improved security, and then improved privacy, and you don't want it, the service to change on you, then when those conditions are met and you feel like there's a good sw- handoff, move it local, right. and otherwise just stay knowledgeable. Absolutely. Yeah. Be aware of what, what your stuff's doing. And if you don't know, you know, that's a decision each person needs to make at that point. Yeah. But yeah, I just have a real problem when we start getting real finger waggy at folks and telling them what they should or shouldn't use. Because, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. And I think we yeah. need to remember that. It's also, I think, let's keep in mind too, people in the community, people out there in, you know, sometimes they can be a hardliner and then mm-hmm. they go home and they're like, oh, well, yeah, can I borrow your laptop? You know, you got to keep <laughs> exactly. in mind sometimes everything. I've seen this in the Microsoft camp. I've seen Microsoft, I won't say who, but I've seen Microsoft employees and their kids get frustrated trying to do things like connect to Wi-Fi with Windows 7 back in the early days and, uh, and, and and shake their fist at their own company because, you know, and then go and use something that does work like Well, Mac. you've been to a Linux conference <laughs> and seen like a ton of people show up with MacBooks. Oh, yes. Right? Yes, I, I mean, you got, there can be, I mean, there was a period of time where some of the core GNOME developers were all using Macs at the, this conference True. I went to. I was like, oh, okay. Right. So it happens. It happens. Um, I go back to, to right tool for the right job. And yep, education. Exactly. Yourself. I think you've nailed it, Matt. So, all right, yeah. very good. All right. So, before we move into the emails, we got a couple of emails I want to get to, including a comment on the DRM aspect of Steam and how we kind of glossed over that last week, and a new Archer reporting in with some tough questions. But first, I want to remind folks we do have affiliate extensions, and if you grab these for your browser for Firefox or Chrome, and we have even Opera in the works. I, you know, Opera's Opera's kind of man. They're coming back. Opera Next is out. I got it right now in my Archbox, and uh, it. It's kind of it's kind of great. It's it's not bad really. Uh, of course, it's not Firefox. I'm I'm no. putting all my effort in these days. I had some browser issues, so I'm kind of doubling down on Firefox. And I I really wanted to do, I really wanted to kind of highlight these browser extensions we have for Chrome and Firefox because we had uh, some recent modifications in the way that the Chrome browser reads the URL that requires a reauthorization, and that caused a big drop off. And uh, the timing's bad because we're sort of ramping up for some big plans for 2014. So yeah. I'm making a special plug. If you'd like to support all of the shows on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, go over to the Jupiter Broadcasting site, scroll down to the bottom, and then down there we have links for a bunch of sites. And then at the end of that link list, we have Chrome and Firefox extensions. You can grab those, and then every sh- site you shop at that we have support for, like Audible and Amazon and Woot and Newegg, including multiple country versions. Like a lot of times we only have the U.S. country linked at the bottom, but we have other countries in the uh, extension. 
Those will automatically be enabled when you shop at those certain sites. We just added Woot.com, for example. And then a portion of your shopping session is contributed to the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, but it doesn't cost you anything more. So while you're getting yourself something nice, you give us a little something. And then the, in the aggregate, it's very small, but in the aggregate, it helps out quite a bit. So right. uh, we really appreciate that. I want to remind you guys that now would be the time to activate that, especially as the holiday season is approaching. This is true. And it's so easy to do. I mean, it's literally either install and or uh, activate or update. And it's passive. You don't have to do anything extra. You know? Yep. No, and we really appreciate it. And they're open source. Right. You know why they're open source? Why are they open source? Because I figured if we're going to be loading software on people's computers, they have the right to go see what it's doing. And that is a good argument to have. I think that's – and that's – again, it's all about being educated. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I go back to uh, uh, something I kind of thought about maybe we'd talk about today, but it just didn't really seem to fit is uh, I love BitTorrent Sync, and those guys have just announced BitTorrent Chat. Oh. And it's a peer-to-peer chat system with no central chat server, but it's all closed source. Oh, no. Oh, and it's no. super light on the details. I just, wow. you know, it's, um, if you I want think, me to I trust it. I think that's it. the underlying problem with open source stuff is that you become wildly successful. Your open source project becomes your marketing arm. And then you got that closed source stuff that basically makes you the money. And I think that's kind of where a lot of these projects end up. Uh, I, I see like uh, Google's a good example of that. They use lots of open source stuff, but they're making their money with the closed source stuff. Yeah, they really are. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like ads. But so. then, well, uh Okay. Well, so, yeah. Okay. I was going to well, – that's actually – I was thinking we could actually have a whole show about this because you know, Red Hat just it had could. their 20 years and sure. uh, they're making a ton of money. But maybe that might be a future topic. Let's get to our first email, okay. Matt. And uh, this is a subreddit thread. It came in from Dexinox. He says, so after six years of using GNU slash Linux, I have finally defeated my laziness and I installed nice. Arch. My thoughts before Arch. Better take a whole day off and prepare for some chill pills so I don't give right. up halfway. Yeah, I like to have a few drinks and get ready. Uh, then after 30 minutes of installing Arch, his thoughts, what the, is that it? Well, that was unexpectedly easy. Even when I had network and Bumblebee problems after install, I was able to solve it without even looking at the Arch wiki or forms. Wow, good job. He says, I'm giving Arch a 10 out of 10 rating. Can we, re- uh, can we really see wh- why where it's users so passionate in all those flame wars? I, I can see why users are so passionate in all those flame wars. Uh, is any more? And then he asks if anybody else in the uh, last crowd is using Arch for production. And mm. you know, I am actually using Arch yeah, for production. I was going to say you use it for production. I still actually have an unused partition of Arch that is still there. I just haven't done anything with it. Um, I, I would agree in that it really is not that hard to get set up. I'd say the, probably the hardest part is honestly just kind of deciding what themes you want to use and what desktop you're going to choose. There's a lot of choices. There's a lot of choices, and it's, so it's, I, I'd say the the customization part is probably the most time consuming. Um, but yeah, the setup itself is pretty much just dirt, 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 you know, just follow along with the wiki. But yeah, I, but for me personally, the customization thing, honestly, I'm just not that vested into it. So I'd almost for my, rather have it done for me, mm. uh, you know, and that changes from time to time. the XFCE user. Hey, you know what? I, I got, <laughs> Manjaro does, it does it all for me. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Manjaro makes it a damn <laughs> I, nice I was, looking. I was in it for Pac-Man anyway, so it's like, yeah. They make a good looking X, XFCE setup. So Dude, I, yeah. I, I thought I'd just, anybody in the mumble room here, you guys... Anybody here have Arch like on a server in production somewhere? I ha- I have it in the traditional production sense. Like I use it to generate sounds and talk to you guys and 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 create show stuff. So um, and encode, I suppose. And you yeah. know, I really have not been bit by this mythical. I don't know how long it's been now, but I've had a few things happen here there where I've had to restart where I had like a problem that like didn't fix until like maybe I updated the video driver and updated the kernel or something, and I have to restart before things are right. So I think maybe under Arch I restart more than I did under other Linuxes. <laughs> Could be. But I don't think other than that I've had any surprises. It doesn't sound like anybody in the mumble room is using it in production. I know uh, it's all because everybody in here is a bunch of Red Hat Enterprise users. Right, exactly. No, they're all, they're all using Windows. No, I, I think for myself, I, I think as long as you're, whether it be any, you know, any type of rolling distro like that, but, uh, you know, Archer, Manjaro, whatever, read the, read the release docs every time there's an update. You're fine. You know what's going on. You know what I say? You know. SUSE Enterprise Edition. There you go. SUSE Enterprise sure. Edition. That's Play what I it say. safe to a fault. Yes. I actually really like SUSE Enterprise. Uh, it, it depends on the venue. In the right venue, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to say, hey, Chris, you got to load CentOS or SUSE Enterprise. Oh, pfft. yeah, that's no question. Well, no, SUSE Enterprise. Me. Yeah, CentOS makes me want to punch things. I, I hate that. Ugh. Yeah. But uh, we love you guys. Um, all right. So uh, <laughs> John yes. wrote in. He said, hi, Chris and Matt. I have some comments from last week's Linux Unplugged. He said uh, there was feedback where one user was looking for an iTunes replacement but felt stuck with the program due to buying a lot of content attached to that dang DRM. 
And discussion, the discussion also turned into the convenience of getting content via file-shared networks. But the problem is that the, such networks are labeled as cheap pirates. Users of such networks are labeled as cheap pirates. In reality, most of them do not get access to the otherwise denied. My wife and I are fans of British television, uh, with the most recent favorite being Downtown Abbey. As a viewer in the U.S., the only real legal way to watch the show is to wait six months after the U.K. version airs on PBS. Due to this time restriction... It forces many users to download the UK version from file sharing sites if they want to keep oh. up with the show. Are these people considered bad if they want to consume content and work around the restrictions of selfish corporations? Or are we meant to be punished? A few <laughs> months back, there was a story about GameStop requiring a critically acclaimed and unfortunately very rare Wii game called Xenoblade Chronicles. The game was never meant to be bought over, over in the stateside, but when it was, GameStop became the only reseller and had a limited run. As with many types of these games, the value was high on auction sites, and many gamers who wanted it paid a high price. All right. of a sudden, large amounts of games were available at GameStop were sold and at $90. The issue with these copies is the employees were forced to remove the plastic and sell it used to no longer be forced to pay a $50 MSRP. From that perspective, wow. GameStop was being unethical against the consumer, and if the consumer wanted to experience the game, they would have to turn to piracy to play it, or at $90, for a new version of the game. So in a nutshell... There are many people who turn to piracy to do it as a way to get around unfair restrictions on the consumer and are, and are not just che- and are not just being cheap and do not care about art. You know, it's interesting because I I reflect hmm. on the first time I pirated TV. Uh it was Star Trek Enterprise. And yeah, shocker, right? Yeah. <laughs> I totally saw that coming. <laughs> no. And I thought it was Downton Abbey. <laughs> I lived in uh, in an area where uh, our local affiliate UPN11 uh made a big stink about going HD. Oh, yes. And they had Enterprise. And Enterprise yep, yep. Season 3 was also recorded with HD cameras. And I thought, and this was still Season 2 when they made the announcement. Yeah. But And then when the Season 3 stuff came out, I was like, okay, I got to do this. So I thought, all right, well, uh, KCBW, whatever it was, I can't remember, KC, whatever. Uh, they're going to get HD TV. Enterprise is an HD. Nothing on TV is more important to me than Enterprise. And I've been thinking <laughs> about getting an HD TV anyways. This is really before even 1080p was big on the market, like 720p. Yeah. And I paid like $5,500. For my HD, and I was, you know, like, you know, I I was a single guy, but so I had some money to burn, but, uh, and and I still have the TV to this day, but uh, nothing was in HD, nothing. There wasn't Blu-ray players, right? I don't even think the 360 with the HD DVD drive had come out yet. No, I don't think it did. I was like, because I remember when that happened, and I kept thinking, "Well, that'd be nice." But yeah, and I and I spent, I blew my money all on the surround sound system I had at the time. Yeah, I was, I inherited a surround sound system, so I had saved money there, so I just needed the HD part. And then about three months after I got the setup all in, the uh, the local cable channel, local local affiliate announced they were canceling their HD migration, which of course oh is BS. God. They eventually migrated. So I just said, you know what? Screw it. Oh, and also at this point, Sci-Fi had launched in HD, but my local cable provider didn't have Sci-Fi in HD. And I was watching Battlestar Galactic, I think, or something. on uh, something. Yeah, I think it was BSG. I think it was the new BSG. So I just yeah. just like, I'm going to keep paying for the cable service. But screw these guys. Like, they they told me I was going to get HD. I went out and bought a right. TV to watch my Enterprise in HD. I'm going to watch Enterprise in HD. And I, 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 it's not that I wasn't paying for the TV service. I just also pirated it. And I think that's what a lot of people have to really come to grips with when they wrestle with the morality of something like that is that a lot of stuff like that, even DVDs to a certain extent, Blu-rays, whatever they may be, you're almost leasing or being lent the contents you're, you don't act you may own the disc but do you really own the content according to the you know according to the movie industry you don't own squat because they do as they damn well please and so that leaves us with that moral dilemma do how do we approach this and i think that more and more people are thinking you know what piss on you i bought this I, i'm gonna watch it my way i've already contributed my funds yeah, towards the other thing you know? too is i think people are savvy enough to realize that it is not the content creator because as a content right. creator oh, yeah. as somebody who's making a show you yep. want as many people as possible to see that because that's, that's why right. you're making it, right? And that's so going to get you renewed next season, right? Yes. But then these corporations who have uh, who who make profits based on a uh, on a limited quantity model, and instead of taking advantage, like our type of show takes advantage of a widely distributed model, 
right? It's a completely different approach. Whereas their their model takes advantage on limiting quantity on purpose, so that way they can sell it to advertisers at a massive premium, at a That's massive right. premium. And when you go outside that system, you devalue what they can charge the advertiser. And the That's thing exactly. is, I think a lot of us are maybe we don't fully understand this this paradigm, but we're savvy enough to know that it's the middlemen that are getting screwed and not the creators that are getting screwed. And the middlemen are screwing the the consumers. And I think that, I think you totally nailed it there. I, I think also the other issue too is that we're not dealing with gatekeepers. We are the gatekeepers. And with uh, TV content, you know, someone creates this really great show. Under the Dome is a great example. And yeah, sure, it's it's available for uh, Amazon Prime folks to enjoy on Amazon and whatnot. But it's also being distributed through television, and that happened because. The gatekeepers that they, they the creators of the show made the contract with allowed that to happen. And when you give control of something like that, you as a content creator really are left getting what they allow you to get. And uh, yep. you know we we don't have to deal with that sort of stuff because of the fact we don't deal with the gatekeeper stuff. So that's that's kind of the big thing. Going to be an interesting future to watch where uh, these guys kind of pull out all the stops they can, and that includes yep. things like you know leaning on the administration for SOPA and all other kinds of nasty things. Well, they found that the whole the whole suing people out of existence thing has kind of been a, a flop. So they decided, well, you know, it really works. Let's make this criminal. So we'll go and we'll buy we'll buy us some congressmen because you know you just go to the exchange for that. And, except for uh, during know, the shutdown. Ex- except for the shutdown. Oh, I'm sh- <laughs> yeah. Well, they're out panhandling. Oh, they'll still right take now. money. Yeah, yeah. No, they'll they still are. take money. Yeah. yeah. Record you know, levels of it boxes. actually. I'm sure it's going to yeah. be a huge unfilter this week, Matt. Uh, <laughs> that's actually just one aspect yeah. is uh, 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 funding for these guys is at record highs right now. Anyways. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Well, it's zero zero sum game. You know? You're right. So it's going to be an interesting model to see where how how far they can play it out. And in the meantime, I think I don't want to say it is our right to pirate. I just want to say I don't have the biggest moral hang up if somebody's downloading a television show. I just exactly yeah. here, my preferred solution to this problem. And I, I know this sounds crazy, but my preferred solution is just don't watch it. Right. There's support, tons support of support content that is not dealing with these games. Exactly. And you know yeah. what that means? That means I haven't seen Breaking Bad. And I realize it sounds like it's one oh, of the, it's one of the yeah. greatest television shows oh ever created. Yeah. But eventually somehow that'll be made available to me in a way that I can consume it on terms that I'm comfortable with. And I don't know if that means there's going to be zero DRM, but I do know it means I'm going to be able to watch it on my Linux box. Oh yeah, no. There, there's ways of doing that, but um, yeah, but there's certainly ways of doing that, and you kind of have to come to grips with the best way to do it. Because shows like that, I would love to see something like that on Kickstarter, but quite honestly, I don't know if we're we're probably ten years out from that because of how deep yeah. and how how well done it was. I mean, we're it's just interesting. The thing we're both dancing around is how Netflix totally changes this whole thing up, it right? Does. Because Netflix is a sort of the best model where it's like. Uh, we're not selling to advertisers. We just want as many subscribers as possible, so we're going to make the best content possible. That's right. Uh, the only problem with Netflix, and we both, we both know what it is, is they are, they're assholes when it comes to Linux. Linus needs to go give Netflix the middle finger. But what's ironic about it is the fact that they are supported on Roku, which in theory is uh, embedded Linux and with the a little bit of a box, DRM chip. And, and the boxy millions box. of Android devices. And they do have the you know most of the Breaking Bad uh, seasons on Netflix now. Just pointing that out. <laughs> you know, screw yeah. Silverlight. Although uh, I just read that they had a job posting uh, uh, that sounded like it was converting some of their backend system from Silverlight to something else. So they, what they want is they want to have a they want to have an HTML5 DRM standard. And they want everybody to adopt that, and then they want to start delivering it that way. They'll call it. They'll call it a you know go, um, something like golden shower or something. I'm sure they'll have some. They'll have some really great name for it that they don't realize what they're saying. I'm golden sure. shower. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Does it come with that golden shower DRM? I'd like to get that golden shower DRM. <laughs> Wait, no, 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 not the real. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, I think that'll wrap oh, up this man. week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Now, don't forget we are live on Tuesdays. Go over to jblive.tv at. Uh, 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Now, you could also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. The calendar will auto-update now with your time zone, or you can manually choose a time zone. And if you're a Jupiter Signal subscriber, dang it, go check your inbox. A new signal's in there with the artwork from Albert. Did you see that, Matt? How great was that? I did. That oh, was awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely right, awesome. As a matter of fact, I shared it on the uh, subreddit. Yeah, oh, that's right. You guys can find a link if you yeah. want to see it if you didn't get the signal. Well, Matt, have a great week. I'll see you on Sunday. Sounds good. See you then. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Tuesday.